at where we are in the book of Daniel uh, as we see all the craziness, all the chaos, all the stuff that's going on in the world, the arrogancy of man, uh, man basically think that uh, he's in charge. As, as we go through Christ of the book, you know, in the volume of the book, it's written of me, the Lord uh, tells us, that Christ Jesus is the theme of the, of the scriptures. And at this point, we've made it to the book of Daniel. And as we're studying Daniel, we see that he's two things, well, actually several things in the book of Daniel, but two that we're going to concentrate on. Uh, one is he is the great protector, and the other is he is the rock that crushes. Now, it's going to take us two weeks, two more weeks, not well, today and next week to get through Daniel. So we've decided we're going to cover Daniel in three weeks. Last week was the introduction. We discovered that Daniel is the apocalypse of the Old Testament. Today we're going to be talking about the fact that Christ is the great protector. He is the one in the fiery furnace. He is the one in the lion's den. And what was all that about? What was going on there as we see him being the great protector? Then next week, and let me encourage you to be here next week as we talk about the rock that crushes. But as we see all the things that are going on as we, as we study the book of Daniel, we see clearly, I, I believe from the scripture, that this day of grace is coming to a close. This day of salvation by grace through faith, uh, I think we're getting close to the end of this present dispensation, and that the day of prophecy, God dealing with Israel, is about to, to commence. What the book of Daniel tells us uh, is that our God is sovereign. What the, book of God, or what the book of Daniel tells us and shows us is that God rules supreme over all. That nations rise, that nations fall, but God himself is over, over all. The strong politicians, the charismatic politicians, the figures that have marched through history, they have come in and then they have gone out like a vapor, like a puff of smoke. And so they sit on thrones, they sit on kingdoms, they sit in oval offices, they, they take them, themselves seriously, but the bottom line is that God himself is over all. And as those who belong to him, our faith, our confidence, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Daniel 4.17 says that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whosoever he will. Let's remember that. That God rules in the kingdom of men. He gives to whosoever he will. The conditions that exist today, the attitude that exists today, I believe conveys the thought that we are indeed living in the last days, and that we're entering a time that God's word describes concerning the tribulation period 
uh, the perilous times that are come right before that. Uh, look at First Tim, uh, First Thessalonians with me, real quick. Just as we get into this this morning, I want to remind you of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter four, a uh, five. I'm sorry. First Thessalonians chapter five, starting with verse one. First Thessalonians chapter five. As we get into this prophecy in Daniel, especially next week. It's going to be critical that you remember this portion of Scripture next week that, as we get into that. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Remember, Paul's talking to the church, the body of Christ. He's talking to these Gentiles in Thessalonica who are now members of the body of Christ. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the light. Uh, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Folks, that's what I'm trying to do as we present these messages, especially over the last few weeks. We want to watch. We want to be sober. We want to recognize all that's going on. Scripture's clear. But because of who we are as members of the body of Christ, looking for that blessed hope, the rapture, what's all about to start taking place is not going to come upon us like a thief in the night, that we are going to be aware of all that's going on. It's important that we look at Daniel, like I said, in three parts. Part one we covered last week. Part two is he is that great protector. Part three is he is the great stone that crushes. And what he crushes is those Gentile powers, those Gentile nations that think they're in charge, those that are going to be forming a worldwide government thinking they're in charge, they will be subdued. You know, it's interesting that when Christ went into the wilderness and suffered the temptation there, remember in Luke chapter 4, Satan comes and he offers the Lord all the kingdoms of the world. He took him on a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan, who is real, by the way, and he is really at work, by the way, but Satan comes and he tells the Lord Jesus, all these kingdoms of the world, I'll give to you. Now, isn't it interesting that the Lord didn't say, what are you talking about, Lucifer? You don't own these kingdoms. You're not in charge of these. You can't give them to anybody. He didn't say that. You know why? Because Satan is the God of this world. He does control those kingdoms, those nations. They are his to give. And the Lord Jesus, what did he do? Get thee behind me, Satan. He did not fall for that trap. There is going to come a time. This beast, this antichrist, 
this world leader is going to come on the scenes. Satan is going to offer it to this individual who's going to think of himself as the Messiah. This individual that we're going to be spending quite a bit of time talking about next week and his power, his authority with the false prophet doing things that's going to convince people that he is the true Messiah. They're even going to say he has been resurrected from the dead. And they are, the world is going to go after, uh, after him. They're going to follow him. And what's going to happen is Satan's going to offer him the kingdoms of this world. And he's going to say, I'll take them. We're going to be talking about that next week. But today I want us to talk about our great protector. Christ is the great protector. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. The nation of Judah have been, has been taken into captivity. They're in Babylonian captivity. Israel, Samaria, the, north, the ten northern tribes, they've been taken into captivity about 115 years prior to this. About 115 years prior to Judah going into captivity, Israel, the northern kingdom, it goes into captivity. But now we have Judah going into captivity. Daniel is written in captivity, just as Ezekiel is going to be written in captivity. What's interesting and when we get here is God has blessed his people in the land. Daniel and other Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to find favor with Nebuchadnezzar, the king, basically, of the world. So God is going to bless them. They're even going to find favor outside the land. They've gone into captivity because of their idolatry. They went after worshiping false gods. We've talked about that. The sexual perversion activity of Israel, how they embraced it and they followed after it and they involved themselves in things that uh, you just don't talk about, speak of, in mixed company. Matter of fact, it's good not to even talk about it in any company of what was going on. So Judah is outside the land. Daniel has found himself to be Nebuchadnezzar's one of his top men. And under Daniel, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have powers, positions of power and authority. Nebuchadnezzar thinks so much of them. And we're about to find two things that happen that closely resemble things that were taking place when they were in the land. Two things are about to present themselves two choices to make what are the children of Israel children of Judah what are they going to do are they going to say oh okay yeah we'll join the party yeah we'll go along with it I mean if you can't beat them join them right uh, are they going to say that they're going to be presented that opportunity that's number one then number two is they're going to be presented the opportunity, do you worship and serve and turn your back on the true God of heaven, or do you worship this king, this man? This is critical 
for the nation of Israel outside the land, nation of Judah, what are they going to do? They're, they're going to be presented with these two issues. Are they going to stand firm? Are they going to say, we serve the true God of heaven? Are they going to be a testimony? God wanted them to be a testimony in the land, remember? They were to be his nation of priests, his holy nation. Israel was to be a witness of who the true God is among all the other nations of the world. God was going to pour out his blessings, and he had. He was going to show himself strong on Israel's behalf, and he had. The only thing he required was that they be faithful. The only thing he required is that they be true to him and worship him. The first commandment that God gave Moses is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You ever notice that they never really even made it past that? That first commandment? Seriously, they never really made it past that. But here outside the land, are they going to stand strong? Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits and he set, up, set it up in the plain of Dura and in the providence of Babylon. Now this is not the image that we see in Daniel chapter 2 and we're going to be talking a lot about that image next, next week and what that signifies. This is not that image. This is the image of a phallic symbol, just to tell you what it is. 90 feet long, 9 feet wide, and it goes back to the perversion of all the nations around them. You know the groves that they talked about in Israel and the high places and the groves and the asterisk poles and all the things that they worshipped around? Well, this is something similar. It's the same old, same old. See, the, our enemy knows that the same old tricks work over and over and over again. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this image, this 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes and the governors and the captains, the judges, the treasurers and counselors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now here's what's interesting about old Nebuchadnezzar here. And these, these leaders of the nation, that included uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, it included all of them also. But remember after Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar about his dream? What, what, what is Nebuchadnezzar's attitude? It just shows you how short our memories can be sometimes. But in Daniel chapter 2 verse 46, then the king Nebuchadnezzar, this is after Daniel revealed to him uh, the... Uh, the dream and what the dream meant and what that image of his dream meant. 
Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is, your God is a God of God and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar wanted his wise men and uh, his enchanters and, and all the others that he brought in uh, to his astrologers and all of these, these guys, he wanted them to not only interpret his dream, but he wanted them to tell him what the dream was. And that was kind of a catch. And they couldn't do it. Only Daniel could. As a matter of fact, you know how Daniel found out? Daniel went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, hey guys, join me in prayer. We need to pray about this because Nebuchadnezzar had already told his captain because the wise men said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, we can't, we can interpret the dream for you. Yeah, that's a piece of cake. They really couldn't, but they couldn't if they didn't know what it was. They couldn't even make something up if they didn't know what it was. Nebuchadnezzar basically said that in chapter two. He said, no, 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 no. If I tell you what the dream was, and by the way, he couldn't remember it anyway. He said, but if I tell you what the dream was, then you're just going to come up with something, and it's not going to work that way. You tell me what the dream is, what the dream was, then you interpret it. So Daniel gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they come together, and they pray over, Lord, you've got to reveal it to Daniel. You've got to reveal it to me, what that dream was. And sure enough, God does that. And here's Nebuchadnezzar's result. He's saying, your God is the true God of heaven. Your your God is wonderful. Verse 49 of chapter 2, Then Daniel requested the king that set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. This is when Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged them and made them important officials. And then he builds this statue, this phallic symbol, and he wants everybody to bow down to it. And I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thinking, well, thanks, Dan. Because they weren't in that position until now. This is another fine mess you've gotten us into. Verse 49, chapter 3, starting with verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar built this, and he said, I want you all to bow down to that image. Verse 3, Then the princes and governors and captains and the, the judges, the treasurers, the provinces were gathered together in the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet and the flute and the harp and the sackbut and the psalmstry and the dulcimer and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worships shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery 
furnace. So it kind of gives you an idea how serious Nebuchadnezzar is seeing this image. How important this image, it's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, are to him. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. See, I think this means that the Jews had finally, at least outside the land, a good number of them had learned their lesson. You, you don't worship that. You don't bow down to that. You don't allow that love and attention. That's not of God. It was a ploy of Satan. Hey, it worked in the land. Let's make it work here. And if they compromise, if they compromise here, I got them. I got them. Verse 9, and they spoke and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalmstery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worships, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I'm pretty sure Daniel wasn't either. The Jews weren't. They're going to make an example of just these three. But if you make an example out of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you make an example of these men, uh, then the rest of the Jews, they will get in line. No, let's, let's gonna, we're going to stop that rebellion now. We're, we're going to make them bow to Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to show them who is boss. As a matter of fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Chaldean name. They had Hebrew names. Their Hebrew names was Hananiah. That means God is gracious. That was Shadrach. Meshach's Hebrew name was Mishael. That was who is God. Abednego, his name is Ahazerah. It means helped of God. So here are these three. God is gracious. Who is God? Helped of God are about to be cast into the fiery furnace where there's going to be the Son of God. And it's going to be a powerful testimony, an example of who the true God of heaven is. I think that's why these three were picked on. Their names exemplify all that God is trying to teach His people and this nation even who the true God of heaven is. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are hauled off to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, 
You did not defy Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't tell him no. He had the power of life and death. He could make laws. He could change the law that he just made. You talk about ultimate authority. That is what Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed. No one challenged him. It makes you wonder how a man could ever get into that kind of authority and power. It had to have been Satan, the God of this world. So he was furious. And he commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you do not ye serve my gods? Do you not serve my gods? There might have been a time in Israel. Actually, there was a time in Israel. Don't know about these guys. But there was a, the reason they were in captivity is because Judah was so anxious to serve other gods. That's an important question. Do, do not ye serve my gods? nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is already admitting that the true God of heaven is Daniel's God. Boy, had he kind of flip-flopped on that. Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalmstery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, that you fall down and worship the image which I have made, Well, that's good. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? I can just hear him saying it like that. Well, you're about to find out, Nebby. You're about to find out. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? See, these kings really thought themselves gods. They thought they were invincible. That's the reason they had the people sell them, O king who lives forever. O king, may you live forever. That was always at the back of their mind, that they are gods. I like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even have to think about it. We don't have to think about it. We can give you an answer right now. Don't play your music. It's getting on our nerves. We don't have to think about it. Listen to what they say. If it be so... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You realize the courage? Do you realize the faithfulness? Oh, had they said, had had the nation of Israel recognized this back in the land. 
I mean, God's word, Isaiah 54, 1 said, had already said, no weapon against thee, no weapon that's formed against thee will prosper. I mean, God was willing and ready to deliver them, to bless them, to use them. He'd already blessed his people. Oh, if they'd have just stood when they were in the land like this. Oh, king, we are not going to serve your false gods. We're not going to worship that golden image which thou hast set up. How important was their testimony outside the land. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke, and he commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times, uh, one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Heat it seven times more than it normally is heated. Get it so hot. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning, fiery furnace. So he looked at his soldiers, he looked at his men, and he picked the strongest, the most valiant, the, the, the most mighty soldiers that he had. And I think this was God's way of saying, even your most mighty can't stand up against me. It didn't do anything else. It got rid of those really strong guys. The most mighty in his army. They were going to be taken out with this activity. He commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind them. Then these men were bound. Talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments. And they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, because of the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. And he rose up in haste, and he spoke, and he said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men into the furnace? Well, they answered, That's true, king. Didn't, didn't we throw three men in as he was looking in? One, two, three, four. One, one to get out of the way. One, two, three, four. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was in that furnace saying, I am your protector, and there is nothing that's going to harm you when I am around. And had they served him in the land when he was ready to bless them, he would have done so. But because of their faithfulness, because of their stand, God is showing Himself strong on behalf of His people. I am your protector. Not only did God keep them safe, let's read on. 
Look at verse 27. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the kings and counselors being gathered together, together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was a hair on their head singed. Neither were their coats changed. Look at that last part. Nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. You talk about a miracle. It's exactly what God was performing. This is exactly what God was wanting to do with his people. I will show myself myself strong on your behalf. I will show these nations who the true and living God is. And over and over and over again, he did. Quickly, Daniel chapter 6. There's another one. There's another one where he shows himself strong on their behalf. Chapter 6, Daniel is promoted. This time it's not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar and his son, they're those two of those rulers that have just passed out of the way. They're gone. Now it's the Medes and Persians, but God is still blessing his people. Daniel is going to be promoted in Darius's kingdom. See, God was, God was blessing. So verse chapter 6, Dan, Daniel is promoted. But Daniel signs a very foolish decree. Must have been a pretty arrogant man. And some of the other rulers, some of the other governors, some of the other leaders... They didn't like Daniel because he got promoted to that top level. They were jealous. And so they, they, how can we get to Daniel? What can we do to knock him off of his high horse? And they said, we can't find any fault. He, his numbers are good. Uh, he, he serves faithfully. Uh, he's just a good individual. What can we do? Ah, we can, if we can get him... The, the only area in his life is this God he serves, that he's faithful to, that he loves. If we can come up with something that causes him to do something that causes a rift between him and the king, we got him. So that's what they did. They go to Darius and say, Darius, let's, let's you make a decree that for 30 days, no one prays or, or no one uh, makes uh, an inquiry to anyone but you. That you, you've got, you're the only one that, that people can come to. Look at verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none, occasion or fault. And for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together in the king, to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god 
or any man for 30 days, save of you, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. These people, they were pretty fierce. Fiery furnace, a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. He liked the idea. What an imbecile. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm the king. I'm the, I'm the one that's all powerful. Yeah, yeah, nobody can ask of any God. I don't come to me if they want anything. That just really stroked his ego. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, I think that's important. Daniel knew the new law. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he did before. He didn't go into his closet and shut the door and go, I hope they don't see me. I know what the law is, but I hope they don't notice. He opened the windows. Here was God's opportunity to show himself strong on Daniel's behalf. Yes, Darius, I know you've signed this law, but you are not my God. You are not the one who can deliver me from deadly. Darius it's time for you to realize who the true and powerful God of all creation is. Talk about courage. So when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he throws open his windows. Verse 11, And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spoken before the king concerning the king's degree. Has, have you not signed a decree that every Man that shall ask petition of any god or man within thirty days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king answered and said, This thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Daniel could have compromised. Daniel could have said, Well, it's just thirty days. And then thirty days, poof, it'll be gone. And so I can I can pray in silence and I can just, I can go on vacation. I can, I, can, I can do something. I can play it low-key. But that was not what Daniel did. He didn't play it low-key. He didn't compromise. He took a firm stand. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regards not thee, O king, nor the decree that you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set, in his heart, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He didn't get any sleep that night, the scripture tells us. See, Darius was a little different from Nebuchadnezzar. I think Nebuchadnezzar was a cruel um, he, he, his life came to an end realizing who the true God is. But Darius, he liked Daniel. And he went, oh, what have I done? What an idiot I am, basically. 
Then the, the verse 15 Verse 14 says that he was displeased with himself, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled into the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed, except by a sovereign God who's getting ready to show you who really is in charge. Then the king commanded that they brought Daniel and cast him to the den of lions. Now the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom you serve continually, he will deliver thee. But Darius says, I, I got faith in your God, Daniel. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. See, Darius didn't have the same authority that Nebuchadnezzar had. Nebuchadnezzar, he could make a law, then change it. Change it back, make it. He was sovereign. Darius was not. Once a law had been decreed, even though he did it, he was stuck with it. He couldn't change. Verse 18, Then the king went to his palace, and he passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of the lions, expecting to find Daniel just ripped to shreds. Because they didn't feed these lions much, I'm sure. When he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. The king spoke and he said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Well, folks, in this case, it wasn't crickets. It was Daniel saying unto the king, O king, live forever. He was polite, even though he had thrown him in the lion's den. O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, and they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Oh, can you imagine had Judah, had Israel been as faithful in the land, the blessings that would have come from God on them and the testimony that they would have, have enjoyed. Verse 24 tells us that Darius then goes, hey, take all these guys that accused him and their wives and their children. I didn't, I didn't say he was a nice man. I guess I, he just wasn't as mean as Nebuchadnezzar. And then he throws all those guys and fed the lions with them. That, I mean, to me, that's cruel. But it was God who was in the lion's den with Daniel serving as the great protector. And he always has been. He always will be. And by the way, folks, whether you're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or you're talking about Daniel in the lion's den, there comes a time, please don't forget, if you didn't hear anything else in this sermon, remember this. From this story and from other stories, God is to be number one in our lives. Amen? And there comes a time when you have to obey God rather than men. That the 
captains and the kings and the presidents and the governors and, and those that make laws, if they're contrary to God, you obey God. Amen? It's scriptural to do so. Just because they mandate a law and say, here's what you must do, what would God have you do? That's, that's the key. And that's what was going on here. God just showed himself faithful. He is the great protector. And he always will be. He always will be. Our hope our goal, our intent should always be to testify of God's goodness and mercy and love and His existence. I, the desire of our hearts should desire to be a testimony. And, and I'm not saying if you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, I mean, it's not going to go that far. You never know. You never know. Or to be thrown into a lion's den. I'm not saying we're going to take it to that extreme. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. As those who put God first. We are called upon. Not, not to that extreme. But we are called upon. In this world. And at this time. To be a witness of the power of God in our lives, to be a testimony of His grace and mercy and His forgiveness. And regardless of the dispensation, regardless of the time, regardless of the program that's going on, God is our protector, and He always will be. He is the one we look to, the one that directs us and guides us. He is the great God of heaven. He is sovereign. He is in charge. And my faith and my trust, my hope, it's in Him. It's not in any politician, for sure. For sure. He is the one who saves. And we can firmly trust in Him. I pray this morning that you know this great God. This is not a fairy tale. These are true stories of God showing Himself faithful. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about why this type of thing does not happen during this day of grace. i got news for you. If it came down, do you want God to deliver you out of a lion's den, or do you want, do you, do you want Him to save you by grace through faith? I'll take that being saved by grace through faith any day. Because that's what's important. Amen? That's real power that he can save a sinner like me and give him eternal life. Make him a new creation. That's power. Hey, saving somebody from a lion's den in a fiery furnace, that's nothing compared to what God does in our lives today when he reaches down and by grace he saves a sinner like each and every one of us was. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and how we thank you for your word, how we thank you of how it describes your power, your character, your might. And Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. Father, what power. 
What love took Christ to Calvary's cross and caused him to be willing to give of himself that we all might have eternal life through his payment in full for our sins. Thank you, Father, for that. And Father, I pray this morning that every person in this room knows you as Savior. By faith, they have trusted Christ Jesus. They have trusted in your death, burial, and resurrection. They believe that you died for them, you were buried for them, you rose for them. Father, that's where their faith is. Father, we thank you for that plan of salvation that cost you everything and you offer it to us through his finished work. Father, we thank you. And Father, bless us this week as we take a stand for you and your mercy. Father, as we declare to a world that is so sin-sick, a world that's so messed up, that you live and that we worship you. And Father, may we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Father, may we understand that it is the power of God unto salvation. And may we firmly and with courage, with obedience, share that with a lost world. We just come to worship you, Father. We thank you for what you've told us in your word. May we apply it to our lives and serve you faithfully. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.